Here we go. I've got my hot chocolate. Taryn's got her whiskey. <laughs> yeah, is that your spiked apple cider? Yes. Um, Ari makes his hot chocolate. He's so bougie. Um, he does, you know, the milk and the hot chocolate. You know, the Swiss Miss. Gotta have Swiss Miss. Yes. Um, and then he does like heavy whipping cream. He'll put like <laughs> almond almond extract in it. He'll put some rum chata in it. He's so fancy. Oh my god. Or like uh maybe like a peppermint schnapp or something. <laughs> a little bit of Bailey's in your boot. Yeah. Oh he does that with his um his oatmeal too. You know, we gotta put some marshmallows in here or else it'll be comfy. Yeah, he puts like heavy whipping cream in it and um um like different extracts like Miller, almond and He's real fancy. He's like, he's always like, oh, yeah, oatmeal is the poor man's breakfast. I'm like, yeah, but look at all the extra shit you put in it. Right. No kidding. I know. I hate oatmeal. Oh, God. It just reminds me of, like, nursing homes. (laughs) Okay. Like, food stuff. Taryn, what are we talking about today? All right. Should we do our welcome or introduction? Yes. To Conspiracy Sisters. I'm Taryn. I'm Amanda. All right. So this week we are doing The Boys on the Track. Yes. Um, it is a murder mystery full of twists and turns. It's actually still currently an open case. Really? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it is. Um, so did you watch the documentary that I sent you? Yeah, but I think that was just like part one. Yeah, I don't know if you can really call it a documentary. It's pretty biased, but at the same time, I feel like I mean, it's it's not a conspiracy anymore. Like, I feel like it's pretty straightforward fact, and we'll get into it. All right. So, um, the whole story begins on the night of August twenty third, nineteen eighty seven, in Alexander, Arkansas, and um, it's actually like very early in the morning. It's around four a.m. and um, these two boys, Don Henry, who is sixteen, and Kevin Ives, who is seventeen, are found. What's that? They're babies. They are. They are found having been hit by a train on the railroad tracks going through this town. And um, they found them at four in the morning? Yes, they were found at four in the morning. So the whole thing began around midnight. They went out and they were supposed to go hunting. And um, it's, it's tough to tell how many people were there. We will get into how many eyewitnesses were actually at the scene because there's some, some discrepancies on that. Um, but so far, as of right now, it's just the two boys that went out around midnight to go or to go um, hunting. And um, when they interviewed the guy that was driving the train, he said that he came upon them and he saw them laying on the tracks and they were covered in a green tarp. And he was like, you know, I was like blowing the horn, blaring the whistle, whatever. And, you know, I'm trying, he's trying to slow it down as much as he can. But of course, you know, by the time you see what's in front of you, these trains are like almost a mile long. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's too, too late to stop. So he, um, one of the things that he did say though, was that they didn't flinch. Like they didn't even move a muscle. Like if you were alive, you would absolutely hear it. You know what I mean? Do you know how loud those fucking things are? Like, yeah. I, I mean, you can hear them from blocks away. There's no way that these kids were, you know, in, unless they were incapacitated or already dead. And he said that he swears that they were covered in this green tarp. Well, I have here in bold high or bold writing, terrible crime scene 
job by Sheriff <laughs> Steed. Um, so oh, he never actually showed up to the crime scene. Um, but the cronies that he sent out to do the crime scene investigation, they showed up. They arrived at around 445 in the morning. And um, they actually did not ever put up any crime scene tape. Um, they, about an hour later, they knew that there was another train coming through and they didn't stop it. They didn't notify the next train. They literally just let the next train blow right through the crime scene. So, I mean, there goes a ton of evidence right there, you know? Um, uh, let's see another thing. One of the EMTs that came out said that, um, he actually left a note for the police and spoke with them about it. Cause he didn't think that they were taking him seriously. He said that there was something about their blood was not, it was oxidized, which means that it had already like hit the, like air had already hit it, which means that it was flowing differently than it would have been had they been living when they were hit does that make sense he basically yeah. was saying that they were already dead um just judging by like the condition of their blood when he arrived right well i've heard that um um your blood stops flowing when i mean uh, it makes sense your blood stops flowing right. once you're dead so you know if you have a dead body yeah it's sure. I think that's negative of <laughs> they were already dead right right um, the other thing is that the next day, some friends and family members of the two boys came out to the scene and they found a piece of one of the boys guns that the police failed to find one of their feet with the shoe still on it. Oh my God. Parts of the tarp. And it's like, okay, I mean, they wrapped this crime scene up, you know, I, I feel like within hours, it was barely daylight by the time they wrapped this crime scene up and okay, you know, dust their hands off and they're done. But it's like, there's so many like things that even their families were finding, um, oh you know, like they're, they're not they experts, went- like all you have to do is take a glance around during the daylight. <laughs> yeah. Like when they went, um, when they took the bodies, like for autopsy and stuff, like when the coroner came and pronounced them dead, like. Did they not realize one of them was missing a fucking foot? Well, it's funny you should mention our medical examiner, mm. Malik. Yes. Quite possibly the biggest that... crash in the world. Say his um, name one more time. Fami Malik. Okay. Because um, I, you just cut out <laughs> when I'm, you said his name. I'm not sure if I'm saying his first name right, but his last name is Malik. Um, okay. And he is, he has a terrible reputation in the city and he is known for being like kind of shady. He worked with Bill Clinton's mother, uh, who was a doctor and she was accused of malpractice twice in her career. And he kind of helped her cover this whole thing up. I I don't know the specifics about it, but he's known for kind kind of, you know, being in with the Clintons and he has a really great reputation, not a great reputation, but he has a lot of relationships with local authorities and politicians and that kind of thing. Um, He didn't mention the boy's missing foot is one of the other points that I put in here. So funny you should say that. Um, Let's see. He just, he had some really terrible, like he had a really terrible track record. Like I know the, my favorite murder girls talked about it too. Um, Just like some of the examples um, that I saw in the documentary and also from their podcast was that (laughs) I think we've spoke about this too. I don't Mm -hmm. know what came up, but he, he claimed that someone who was shot in the chest five times committed suicide. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I think once would be enough. Like, I don't think you that's not do it more than once. Um, that's typically not how suicides happen. Well, right. Sure. I mean, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. 
<laughs> okay, now tell us, tell us about the best one. Uh, the best one here is the missing head. So the body was found, the head was missing, and he claimed that the person had died of an ulcer. Um, he then went <laughs> on to say that the reason that the head was gone is because a man had died and the dog that was in the house ate his head. However, it does not explain how, like, a couple days later, the head was found. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know who that was that had passed away and what the circumstances were of that, like, either of those deaths, really. Um, but obviously he was trying to cover something up. You know what I mean? He, yeah. He's trying to cover something for someone. Right. So, so those two deaths, the weird examples that you just gave, are not part of this story they're just other other things that this man this medical examiner had claimed he's like oh it's you're missing your head you died from an ulcer (laughs) just a few examples of death works the reputation that he has gained around the town um so uh you know these are just two other you know like cases that he was involved in that he spoke about from his you know medical professional opinion um, so the worst part about it was that after this case, citizens of the community were like, okay, this is fucked up. Like, obviously, like, you guys did a really shoddy job. Like, th- I mean, this is crazy. So basically what he was saying is that he thinks that the boys had smoked up to 20 marijuana cigarettes and had passed out on the tracks on purpose because they wanted to commit suicide. They wanted to kill themselves by being hit by a train. So like, okay, that's a lot of cigarettes. I mean, and and you reach a certain, like, point. I mean, and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can only get so high. And not to mention, doesn't matter how fucking high you are, unless you're, like, smoking meth and have an overdose or something on the tracks, there's no way you are not hearing that fucking horn. Like, that thing is right. so loud. It would absolutely wake you up. Um, yeah. Even if they were doing it to purposely commit suicide like you would still probably like flinch or like put your hands on your face or something absolutely closer absolutely um oh by the way happy 420 considering um you know smoke (laughs) for or 20 marijuana cigarettes great that i mean i guess like in the 1980s in utah like it probably wasn't that great either like great of quality so i mean it might take 20 <laughs> i don't know um, right it's just like nasty ditch weed that you found in your backyard exactly so <laughs> after this whole incident and the fact that he was essentially like telling these two families oh yeah your boys went out in the woods and smoked a bunch of weed and then laid on the railroad tracks because they wanted to kill themselves neither of these boys were clinically depressed and so the town of course is in an uproar um they all kind of know each other all their friends from school are like sticking up for them they wouldn't do this they wouldn't do this and instead of them calling fami malik out they actually the uh his boss i forget her name she actually gave a fifteen thousand dollar a year raise um despite citizens who were trying to, you know, protest this situation and get him out of office. Um, so they, they praised him for this and it's almost like they rewarded him for a job well done way to cover up this case. I mean, I guess he did a better job than like, it was a better excuse than the fucking missing head. Um, (laughs) like you're getting better at your job. Here's a raise. (laughs) Maybe. Um, I mean, the man has no shame, like Jesus Christ. Um, so in comes our next star, Dan Harmon. He is the prosecutor, and he somehow convinces the judge to make him the prosecutor of this case, 
despite the fact that he was secretly at the crime scene. So he actually was one of the people that was at the scene and he still managed to weasel his way into this situation. So um, I guess we should kind of talk about like the conspiratorial side of this. So basically the whole point of this, which has actually been proven is that during this time in the eighties, there was a small airport. I think it's called the Mesa airport. And it was um, like a private airport where a lot of individual um, like private airplanes and jets would come in and out of. And there were lots of reports of people calling into the police saying, you know, that they had seen things dropping out of these airplanes you know, bags of drugs is what I'm talking about here. (laughs) So they're saying that this was a huge drug drop spot. And I don't know that it even necessarily had anything to do with the cartel. I mean, I guess if you trace cocaine back, it all comes from the cartel, but they're saying that this is like directly from the government. Um, And it it was, it wasn't just drugs. It was also like weapons and um, like, I don't know, a bunch of other like paraphernalia, things like that, that they're trying to traffic across like state lines and country borders, whatever. So, the whole, like, I guess, like, what am I trying to say here? What they're trying to, like, essentially what they're saying is that, like, these two boys, sure, maybe they were out hunting. They did have their guns with them. But it was kind of like a known thing that the, these drug drops were happening near the uh, these railroad tracks. And so these boys were out there trying to get it. And yeah. another thing was that um, they... Um, I don't even know where to go with this. I'm sorry. I'm like losing my train of thought. Um, so essentially they are, they're, they're out there trying to track down these bags of drugs and the prosecutor catches wind of this and come to find out there were several people that were actually witnesses at this location. So number one, we have... And most of them died of, like, really strange, mysterious reasons before they were ever able able to go on trial. So one of them is Keith Coney. And he was one of the kids that met them at, like, a grocery store. Like, they just happened to run into one another at this grocery store before they went out hunting. And so he's one of the last people to see him. And I think the kid kind of, like, gave him a hint as to what they were doing that night because... Keith Coney and two of the other boys from their high school were actually at the scene of the crime, but they were like hiding in the woods, like watching. Like, I think they oh could just watch from the distance, you know, and see, like, oh, like, are there really drugs here? Like, you know, right. Like, like may- I feel like maybe they weren't out there, like, let's go get the drugs. It was probably just like, I've heard that they do drug drops out there. We should go see if we can find anything, like any yeah. evidence of that. Yes. And then these fucking kids are just hiding in the bushes, like, you go do it, go check. Yes. So these just happened to be like a group of a couple other high school kids that they went to or kids that they went to school with, um, you know, that like caught wind of this situation. And I don't think anyone else really knew that they were there until they actually came, like they weren't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, some other people. Let's see. Um, so uh, what was his name? OK, so Ronnie Goodwin. He, I'm not sure if he was the owner of the store that they were at before they went hunting or if he was just an employee there. Um, but he said that he saw the boys at the grocery store and um, he also saw an unmarked cop car come up, uh, pull up into a parking lot near the grocery store. And he claims that he saw two officers 
um, get out of the car and start beating the boys and throwing the, and through their bodies in his trunk. Oh my God. Yes. And Keith Coney also later comes forward and says the same thing. He's and like, I said, what's that? He's the other kid. Yeah. He's the other kid that was there hiding in the woods. So now he fucking knows that there's something going on. So I think that's why they kind of tracked them into the woods and like followed them there. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see here. There were a couple other people there as well. One of them was a man named Keith McCaskill. He is a meth dealer. Um, and fun fact, I was going to leave this till the end, but he actually works with Dan Harmon, who is the prosecutor. And uh, Dan Harmon is in on the whole thing. He's actually at the fucking scene. He knows that the cops, what the cops did to these boys and somehow still manages to become the prosecutor in this case, saying that it was a suicide attempt. So Dan Harmon was at the scene, like, when this happened, he was there to pick up the drugs with his favorite dealer friend, Keith McCaskill. Um, Let's see. And the other person that was there was Charlene Wilson. She's the only one of the witnesses that is still alive today. Um, She was actually dating Dan Harmon, the prosecutor, at the time. Uh, She went with Harmon to pick up the drugs. And um, she wrote an eyewitness report in 1993. So about five years later, she actually wrote a report saying what happened that night. However, no one told either of the boys' families until 2006. So they had oh. no idea that this even happened for 13 more years. Um, let's see. So uh, Charlene says that the cops and the prosecutor beat the boys to try to get information on where the drugs went because there was a bag that went missing the month before. Their drop didn't show up or it they, they couldn't find it. So the cops and Dan Harmon, the prosecutor, are beating the shit out of these boys, trying to get information out of them as to where, you know, they think that they're the ones that are stealing their drugs. Um, so let's see here. Oh, my God. He's such a piece of shit, that Dan Harmon. So and those are all of the people, as far as I'm aware, that were actually at the scene. Apparently, a bunch of fucking people saw this go down. Yeah. And so... <clears throat> A couple, I can't remember if it was a couple months or like a year later. It was not too long after um, the boys were buried that the one of their moms, uh, Kevin Ives, his mom convinced this new, okay, let's see, people who spoke out, John Brown. So John Brown was a new investigator hired in 1983 in Arkansas, and Kevin Ives' mom convinced him to reopen the case. However, as soon as he was hired on, he was warned, do not look into this case. There's nothing to it. I realize it's an open case, but, like, there's nothing going, there's nothing more to hear about it, right? And so, so despite- first he's want to look into yeah. it. <laughs> So despite this, he still looked into it. However, he could not find any crime scene photos or evidence. Um, Most of the report was redacted. Um, If you look at it, like everything is blacked out. Um, And who was it redacted by? I mean, I think we have, I think we can guess, I would say, Dean Herman. But uh, let's see. So he... His, okay, so Keith's mom convinced him to reopen the case. So they exhumed the bodies. They hired a new medical examiner. Um, let me just get my other notes here. A new medical examiner to do... Um, oh, shit. I grabbed the wrong notebook. Okay, hang on. Cut this part out. 
I have to tell me what to do. I have two cat notebooks. And I grabbed the wrong one. Oh my god, I'm definitely leaving this in. <laughs> I have two cat notebooks. Okay, hang on. Let me get to it. Okay, so I'm trying to find the other guy's name because he was like a good guy. Uh, the other medical examiner. What the fuck was his name? I don't have it on here. He was like a good guy. Yeah. Um. He, I mean, he was honest. Uh, yeah. He did his fucking job. So anyway. The other medical examiner uh, did the did a second autopsy, and f- on both of the boys, and found that uh, on one of their T-shirts, or yeah, one of their T-shirts, and on I, so this is where it gets like really muddled. I'm not really sure how he got one of the shirts because I thought all of the evidence had been thrown away or destroyed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm assuming there's not much of a body left to examine after a couple of years. So anyway, it was shown that Keith was actually, um, beat in the back of the head with his own gun and oh yeah, like it actually like shattered the back of his skull and, um, the other boy was stabbed in the back multiple times. Wait, did you say Keith? Keith was hit in the back of the head with a gun and the other boy, Don was stabbed in the back. I thought. Keith was the boy from the gas station. I'm sorry, Kevin, not Keith. Kevin, okay. Kevin. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're correct. Um, there are two Keiths. There's Keith Coney, their high school friend, and Keith McCaskill, the meth dealer that's, like, hanging out oh, with Don- Dan Harmon. Yeah, I know. Lots okay. of... And Kevin and Don are the boys from that were murdered. Correct. Um, but, but baby Keith also got murdered, right? Yes, he was one of the other ones. I was going to go through all the witnesses as well and tell you okay. how, how many of them have passed away and of what strange circumstances. Um, let's see here. So I'm really concerned about baby Keith for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> so uh, let's see here. Uh, John Brown. So, you know, he he does the exhumation. He digs up the bodies, they, you know, whatever. But they're not going to take it to trial again. Nothing comes of it. And he's forced to retire early. Um, I oh. think they kind of just, like, force him out of the police unit. Um, they just pressure him into, you know, not taking on any new cases. And uh, there was one other woman who actually spoke out. Her name was Jean Duffy. And she was involved actually before John Brown. Um she began the drug task force in Arkansas, which is interesting that they would even put any money towards it, considering so many of these people are, like, like involved in it. Why would they even want to shine any more light on it? I don't know. Right. Um, they obviously don't care about the fucking drug issues in Arkansas. Um, <laughs> so she was. she also was warned right off the bat not to investigate. Like, they literally came to her office and said, do not investigate anyone that is in our jurisdiction like no one that's that works with us among us in the government like just leave it alone you know you're looking for people that are outside of I guess our offices um so then she continued looking into it and she continued looking into this case and so um Dan what's his name uh Dan Harmon he basically slandered her he went to all of the different media outlets in the area all the news outlets and was just talking about how she's involved in drugs and just like totally gave her a bad reputation a bad name and she basically went into hiding and became a teacher in texas after a couple of years in the drug task force so i mean it's just so shitty you know she's trying to do the right thing she's trying to do something good and i mean she's literally forced out you know it's so sad um 
So, as for the witnesses, um, let's see, Keith McCaskill, he was the drug dealer that was working with Dan Harmon. So, he was stabbed over a hundred times in his driveway and, like, kind of, like, in his garage. Um, the only person that was a witness was their neighbor. And he was kind of, like, from what I... Ha- was that your cat? <laughs> yeah, just got home, so she's really. <laughs> yeah, we're recording right now. Um, so from what I have gathered, he was kind of like, just like a slower gentleman, and um, he had like a lower IQ, so he was kind of easily manipulated by the police. And uh, when he went over there to see what was going on, um, the people that were stabbing his neighbor gave him like, like he walked through the blood to oh my God. to get to the police and be or not the police whoever these hitmen were and was like you know what is going on like how, like why are you doing this and they they gave him a bag and they were like put all of your clothes in this bag and throw them in the river so that it doesn't look like you did this and just walk away like you've never seen it so he did oh it he literally slipped and fell there was so much blood he slipped and fell so he had blood all over his clothes he put them in a bag and threw it in the river. And lo and behold, two days later, the police force found the fucking bag and accused him anyway. And because he was, like, this poor kid of, like, a lower IQ, they essentially manipulated him into, like, going to prison over killing this guy. Oh, um, my God. Because Keith McCaskill was going to speak up and be a witness for the boys on the track. Um, let's see. Another person. I, so I'm not sure how all these people were involved. They just happened to be witnesses. So I don't know if they were witnesses, like who saw them at the grocery store beforehand or who happened to be like in the woods at the time, because it sounds like fucking everyone knew knew about these drug drops. Um, So some of the other people that were involved that were witnesses that were supposed to come forward and testify, they were all killed mysteriously before their testimony. So there was Greg Collins. He was shot in the head three times. There was Daniel Bearden. He just disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to him. Jeff Rhodes, his body was found years later in a landfill. Uh, Ronnie Goodwin, he was the guy that was working at the grocery store. Um, he may actually be okay. No, he definitely died, but I'm not sure what freak accident. Uh, oh my god, he may actually be okay. Him. No, no such luck. No, oh I'll figure it out. Um, I'll find it. I have two different sources here. <laughs> and then, of course, baby Keith Coney. Um, he died in a motorcycle accident. Oh. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Who was the other one? Ronnie Goodwin. I don't have anything on him, actually. I'm a dirty liar. Um, so, so anyway, you know, it's very clear that, like, these people were all kind of, like, set up. They all died in, like, mysterious and strange ways, like, right around the time that they were supposed to testify for this. Yeah. Um, convenient. Yeah, isn't it? Um, so, essentially, the case kind of just went on unsolved. Um, for a while there, you know, everybody thought that it was suicide until john brown came onto the scene and they did the exhumation and then it the case got reopened again well then of course everyone who came forward to testify um you know was killed the only person that's still alive is charlene wilson uh and she's actually the one that wrote the eyewitness report and after she wrote that Harmon actually retaliated by entrapping her for having a small amount of marijuana on her oh my god yeah, he somehow arrested her for 31 years. So, what? Yeah, he basically set her up because she gave this report, like, five years later and had her put in prison, which I guess is, you know, better than all the other people he just offed. I guess. Um, 
but I mean, I don't know. Would you rather be dead or in prison for 31 years? So I don't know. <laughs> um, in the meantime, Keith, not Keith, Kevin, his mom <laughs> has been diligently like pushing for a retrial. Linda. Yes. But yeah. I mean, there's no one left. All the witnesses are passed away. Like there's no one left to testify. There's like this poor woman has like no justice. The only justice is that um, the prosecutor, Dan Harmon, was actually fucking finally arrested in 1997 for drug charges and racketeering. Good. Um, so, well. he, yes, he went to jail in 1997. He got out like 10 years later. And then he was arrested again in 2010 for a drug operation that he was running near schools. So it was a longer charge because it was like, you know, near minors. Um, So what he did was he had his nephew elected sheriff of the town that uh, his case was still open in. And so any witnesses that come forward, the sheriff just dismisses them. Oh, my God. How was that? any to i don't know i mean it's a small town in arkansas i feel like there's no rules it's like the fucking wild west <laughs> out there so um meanwhile you know kevin's mom linda is still pushing for this investigation but with fucking dan Harmon's family running the town this is never going to move forward the only piece that we have i suppose is that dan Harmon is currently in jail um, I don't think it's for life. It was just for like a drug related incident. So there's, he can probably get out on good behavior. Um, but he is currently in jail and uh, the case is still open. Nobody, nobody knows. Well, Charlene is in jail for 31 years for like mm-hmm. a joint. Yeah. So if he's actually involved in like drug dealing and racketeering, which I don't even know what that means, um, <laughs> then. He should probably get more than 31 years, I would assume. I mean, I would think, but he was like a cop. He was a prosecutor, you know, and Charlene, poor Charlene, was not. And I know it's like Linda needs justice for her family, for her son. And then um, Don's mom and dad need justice for him, too. But, I mean, the best that we can offer them is that we all know that they weren't suicidal you know, it wasn't a suicide. Right. Everyone like, knows. It, I mean, out. exactly. I mean, the, the fucked up thing is that it's like everyone in the police department, in the government, in the justice system, the courts, everyone seemed to know that this was going on. People were calling in reporting, you know, that they were seeing these drug drops in like mysterious planes at night with their fucking lights off. And they would call it into the police and they would never investigate it. It's like, yeah. but, but what are you supposed to do? You know, when the people that are supposed to protect you and like, you know, stop these things from happening are the ones that are actually doing it like what option do you have you know yeah i know it's yeah and at this point with no living witnesses it's going to be hard to get justice but other than charlene but i mean they literally just dismissed her like i mean of course sure they showed the family so that might give them a little bit of sense of like you know okay like now at least we know what happened not that it like gives them any ease but you know it's like at least they they know that their kids did not do this intentionally but they're never gonna get justice i mean that guy's in jail right now for something else it's like fucking oj i mean yeah it's just i don't know now was now bill clinton was like the mayor or something at the time he was something at the time he became president in the 90s he was a president what year was it like 93 i think he became the president um he was like, he was like the 
the mayor or the governor of yes. Arkansas? Yes, he was the governor. Um, the governor? Yes, okay. he was the governor at the time. So, you know, when they asked him what he thought about Malik's work, because he obviously knew his his mom, you know, she was a medical professional, and yeah. Malik had stood up for her in court to get her out of these um, sticky situations that she got herself in, which, again, I didn't really look that deep into it. I don't know that much about the Clintons. Um, but, yeah, you know, care. when they asked him... <laughs> what he thought about the situation if he if they if he thought that he deserved the giant raise that he got Clinton pretty much just said no comment you know he was like I don't think that's really my place to judge and it's like it's extremely your place you're the governor of the state and he is your coroner (laughs) like your medical examiner for the state of Arkansas I can't imagine there's that many of them (laughs) I can go like a city in Arkansas (laughs) (laughs) Little Rock that's the only one that's in Arkansas right yeah. Uh, Taryn, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, what do you think? You I'm doing your home. And do you think that what do I justice? Think? Do you think anything will ever come of this? Do you think that guy will just die in jail? I think that with the governmental connections that they all have, I don't think that there will ever really be justice for it. But you know, the people know the truth. You know, the one. I mean, everybody knows the truth. The the people that were there and the the people that are involved and the people that hear the story can quite clearly come to the assumption that it was a murder framed to look like a suicide. A very bad attempt at a suicide, by the way. Um, you know, and it's it's shitty that like they these families will probably never really get true um, governmental justice from it, but. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's it's really sad. And I mean, I feel like there are so many situations that are like this. And it almost makes you feel just like so helpless as a citizen. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like you said, like the people who are supposed to be protecting you are the ones, you know, the fucking prosecutors and medical examiners, like the people in the government and the cops that like beat those boys to death or whatever. And the unmarked right. cop cars. Like, like the people that are supposed to be protecting the town are doing exactly the opposite. And you know, it's all just for money and drugs. Absolutely. And that's so fucked up. Like, I, I understand how important money is. Like, especially, you know, like after buying a fucking house, like I, I realize how important money is. (laughs) I mean, it's always been important, but like, it's not, it's not more important than another person's life. As in my personal opinion. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know. It's it's just so tough. Did you watch the document or the thing that I sent you? Did you kind of understand like who all was at the crime scene? Yes. Yeah, I got it. There were a lot of names. So I really had to like stop and pay attention and stop playing games on my phone while I was watching it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there, there are a lot of people involved and it, it goes all over the place. And it's, you know, it sucks that it can't just be like this horrible tragedy where these two innocent young boys died. It's this whole big conspiracy that overshadows their deaths. And that's just fucking terrible to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's so sad because it's like, you know, their parents are just like devastated over this. Like, I mean, how helpless would you feel like knowing that the people that you are supposed to go to, to help you and prove that this is wrong are the people that are at fault. I mean, yeah, I don't know. 
No, I'm sad. I know it's crazy and (laughs) sad and it's awful. And I mean, I feel like it almost makes me want to do an episode on like the war on drugs, you know, like it, me. I I feel like it would just infuriate me. (laughs) Yes. Well, I've been seeing for some reason, I'm getting a lot of Ben and Jerry's ads on Facebook. Okay. And I'm not like a, I'm not super into ice cream, let alone Ben and Jerry's in particular, but like they're doing some campaign thing where they talk about how, you know, it's unfair that now that marijuana is legal in a lot of places that, you know, people who have been arrested on minor drug infractions are still in jail. Like that doesn't make any fucking sense. And it doesn't like, they have to like hire a lawyer and like do everything on their own. Like, it's not just like automatically like, Oh, since marijuana is legal now and you were arrested for, you know, possession of marijuana, like we're going to let you go. It's like, it's not that simple and it sucks. And they're, you know, they're, Ads are also saying stuff about, um, you know, how African-American people are marginally, you know, they're more often arrested and thrown in prison for drugs. And it's like, oh, but it's okay for, there's like a literal hashtag called like marijuana mommies. And it's like just a bunch of like white hippie moms that like smoke weed for fun. And it's like, okay, well, why is that okay? But like the, you know, black kid down the street can't like is in prison still <laughs> like that, that, it doesn't make sense and it's just like really strange that ben and jerry's is like promoting this i'm like wait aren't you an ice cream company <laughs> i mean if you think about it i feel like stoners are probably some of their best customers this oh, shit is like so overwhelming like there's like why are there 32 different ingredients in it like there's <laughs> cookie dough and oreo chunks and brownie pieces and fudge on the top and all different flavors of ice cream like it just yeah. There's so much going on. <laughs> I like my ice cream simple. Mint chocolate chip. <laughs> I like me a caramel sundae. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Um, Sunday. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the war on drugs would make things interesting because like, okay, just think about it for a moment. What if all drugs were legal and it was like up to you? You get your choice. You can go to the store and you can fucking buy cocaine. Like, <laughs> I feel Wait, like, what? like if they were all legal and anyone could do whatever they wanted, it would eliminate, like, any of these issues. Like, remember when cocaine was, like, a, like you know, what they would sell you at the barber shop? Like, what your dentist, <laughs> what your dental barber traveling doctor would sell you? Yeah, <laughs> it was a little bit of everything. Yes. I mean, I just feel like, I, it's just, like, leave it up to people. Alcohol is terrible for people. Smoking, whether it's vape or fucking cigarettes, is terrible for people. I mean... It's just, like, these things are all legal and people choose to do it. I just feel like if it was not so, such a high crime situation and such, like, um, if these things didn't have such bad reputations and such a bad name, I guess, I just feel like there wouldn't be so much hype around them and selling them and having them and it just gives these people so much power you know what I mean and the people that have the power are the ones that are already in authority you know what I mean yeah so well I need to challenge you on this for a minute I agree with you however I don't think we should legalize everything no no Um, no. I'm not saying that that's like what we should do I'm just saying like I just feel like it it causes so much more corruption by making it such a like a I, I don't know such a stick. well we need to decriminalize it so if you are you know addicted to 
meth or heroin or something, you should be able to seek help without fear of being thrown in jail. Right. And I feel like there are a lot of towns that are doing that. Like, if you want to come in and ask for, like, rehabilitation, they'll give you, what is that shit called? Like, methadone or whatever. Yeah. You know, and, like, I I feel like they can refer you to somewhere where you can get rehab. But if you, it only, you can only do it if you have health insurance, you know. Yeah, right. And that just brings us full circle to. Right. Well, I now stressed about not having a job or health insurance. So I guess I'll just do drugs about it. (laughs) Oh my god, you got ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. <laughs> <laughs> Old timey doctors just drunk as hell. <laughs> I don't know. That was like a meme or something I read somewhere. It's hilarious. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just I don't know what the answer is. I just it's I don't know. There's a lot going on. Um. So not only is it four twenty today, but it's also mom's birthday. Yes, it is. Happy birthday, Ginge. Happy birthday, Ginger. We love her. She's the great. I did see her today. We, me and Hannah went over and helped her break up some leaves and it was a muddy mess, but we love, we love every minute of it. The true goat of motherhood. <laughs> Truly. She's so great. Um, so yes, happy birthday, mom. Um, sorry that we're in a pandemic and we can't really like take you out to eat or anything. <laughs> I can bake your cake. <laughs> I feel like she was probably just as thrilled to have someone help her rake leaves. Yeah. You know what? She paid me for that. She gave me money for it. I was like, mom, I did this like out of the goodness of my heart. And like, because it's your birthday and I love you. And like, I would always help you. And you're always over here helping me. And she's like, I know, but you guys always just could use a little extra cash. <laughs> like, no change. She's always got a little extra cash, doesn't she? You know. <laughs> like when you go to, every time you go to grandma's and you leave and you got a full belly and a ten dollar bill and, <laughs> and you just her. feel <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, Taryn, this is a good episode. Thank you for telling me the story and doing homework on that for me so that I d- didn't have to. Well, of course. Uh, I'm editing all of these, so yeah. Absolutely. yeah um, I don't mind. Honestly, okay, the last one, the Bigfoot one, I didn't even bother editing because it was so fucking good and smooth and <laughs> Yeah, it was. All right. We'll wrap it up. Uh, What do we say? Conspiracy sisters unite. Yes. Conspiracy sisters.